This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. This is the Skate Podcast on WEEI.com. Bobby Orr, behind the net, the Sanderson, the Orr! Bobby Orr! Orr! For the first time in 39 years, the Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. Talking Bruins and NHL. Sure, old-time hockey. Like it is sure. With writer and producer Brian DeFelice. Brian DeFelice is an emerging talent. Bridget Prue. Yeah, he's a little bit on the hot seat. Burn him! And WEEI.com Bruins writer Scott McLaughlin. Oh, great stuff. Lace him up for some bees talk right now. I'm looking at a It's the Skate Pod on WEEI. Welcome into episode 80 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice, joined by Bridget Pru, Scott McLaughlin, and everybody's favorite former Bruin, Andrew Raycroft. It's the second time on the show. Razor, how you doing? I'm, I'm great, thank you. And that pause, I'm sure everybody was saying Andrew Raycroft to themselves, <laughs> I'm sure. Well, I was going to say everybody's favorite <laughs> former goalie, but considering, which you are, by the way, for me, but considering the news last night, now I'm sure that you got some competition there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it'll certainly be 50-50. Uh, Tuca's always 50-50, so, so I'll have uh, half of the people on my side. Yeah, maybe like 1% for Timmy T. <laughs> yeah, that's right, Timmy who? Uh, Scotty, do you want, to, uh, you want to make some sort of announcement? I don't know, I guess something's going on over EI now? Yeah, sure. So people may have already seen this. Uh, it's been on Twitter, been mentioned on the air WEI, but uh, the Sunday Skate Show is returning. Uh, not... This coming Sunday, but Sunday, February 20th, uh, it'll be every week, 11 a.m. to noon, hosted by Matt Kalman, myself, and Razor. Uh, Bridget will be producing this, the show for us, so she'll be involved. So, um, you know, we're excited to get that back. Wanted to, you know, kick this off with a little bit of self-indulgent uh, promotion. Razor, uh, you excited to get this going? I am excited, and it's always great to start a show with self-indulgent promotion because that keeps everybody around for the rest of the way. No one ever turns off a show when you start plugging everything you <laughs> right. do right at the start. So, uh, great! It'll be uh, it'll be fun on Sundays. I'm excited that we're all involved, and we'll have some fun. Yeah, so we won't linger on the uh, self-promotion too long. Uh, <laughs> plenty of, plenty of other stuff to get into, which uh, we will start doing. Uh, so Tuesday night's game against the Penguins, Bruins come back from the All-Star break, and news breaks via Flutishans out of the Athletic that Tugarask is not expected to continue his comeback. Retirement announcement could be coming any day. Patrice Bergeron gets hurt in the game, gets tangled up with Sidney Crosby, hits his head against the boards, uh, will miss at least one game on Thursday against Carolina. 
And then Brad Marchand uh, completely loses his mind at the end of the game and goes after Penguins goalie Tristan Jerry. as uh, a punch to the head, does high stick to the mask. Marchand will have an in-person hearing with the NHL. Depending on when you're listening to this podcast, perhaps we'll have a ruling by then, maybe not. Uh, Razor, I guess we'll start with, with Rast. I know you had mentioned last week on Gresham Keefe that you were starting to get concerned the longer that this injury lingered. And now here we are. It's reached, seems to have reached a, a breaking point where he's not going to be able to continue. What, what do you make of uh, how this has gone down? Well, what I what I make of it is a guy who who did rehab for four or five months, tried to get his body back, felt good, but played games and might have recognized that he just can't get back to the level that's necessary to be in the NHL. And and anytime you take off six months, you have to do twelve months of work for those six months. And that's what you're cramming in to get back because there's players that are, you're starting at zero. There's guys that were at six months and they just worked through Jeremy Swayman just got better over those six months rather than just trying to get back to, to, to normal. And I think it was just a matter of um, realizing when you get on the ice and when you get in an NHL game, what it takes and how much it takes a toll on your body. And when you've gotten out of that rhythm and you've had major surgery, it, it, it's not going to feel the same. So we saw the same thing with Ben Bishop earlier in the year, another older goaltender who tried to rehab, tried to come back, played one game in the minors, gave up 150 goals and realized there's just, I can't do it. My body just can't do it. And, and if everything that's coming out is, is true, uh, then it's a very similar situation where a goaltender, and this is how we most of us end up retiring, is we realize and we come to the realization we can't do it anymore. And, and it's physical, it's mental, it's all of those things combined, and it seems as though that's where Tuca is. Do you think there was any sort of mistake or anything the Bruins should, should have done differently? Because you know, I look at this and I think, well, Rask wasn't here long. Swimming didn't have to go down to Providence for long. You know, kind of just, hey, goes goes back to where they were the first half of the season and you go back to your Ulmark and Swayman tandem. It, is it that simple? Was there any damage done to the team, to Swayman, to anyone in your mind with how this went? No, no, no damage at all. It's good to get Swayman some extra games that he might not have played on the road. So he gets his confidence going down there a little bit. He's, he's going to need more of that. He is. I think we saw that in the game against Pittsburgh. Um, you know, there's still going to be growing pains with a young goaltender and you, you got to find him games. You got to find him his confidence. And, but, but no, I don't think any of this had anything to do with, with Tuca being here or not being here. I think anytime you could bring a guy like Tuca in, we saw the excitement this team had when Tuca played his first game and got a win and felt like he was coming back. We, we saw it. And I, I think this is going to be something that might linger more than the Marshawn suspension that is coming down the pipe. Um, assuming Patrice is only a week or 10 days or one game, that this Tuca thing is the one that lingers the most because I think they really counted on him coming back. And when they went into the first round of the playoffs, having um, they're a guy who's played over 500 games playing against another guy who's played over 500 games in the first round of the playoffs, and they are not going to have that now by the looks of things. 
Did you at any point suspect that Rask might be heading towards a retirement when you saw that he wasn't practicing and, and or did it completely catch you by surprise, this news? No, when when Monday, the Anaheim game didn't play great. I was downstairs and then going on the road and not playing, practicing on the road, going out on the road and then not showing up just 10 days after already coming back. Um, that's, that's a big red light. And that, you know, when you can't keep doing this and and he knew that, I think his hope was he'd come get up and running right away and the season would go well. But if you, if, if he had more stops and starts and say he comes back, even if he does come back this week and he has another stop next week, then he's affecting the organization. He's affecting the team. And that's the last thing he wants to do on top of everything else, on top of everything personally that he's going to have to go through. So it's not a surprise if he retires knowing that you can't be a stop and start guy as a, as a goaltender. You just can't. You have to be all in. Uh, Razor, I want to jump back to the first time you, you were on with us because you mentioned how uh, Allmark was your favorite signing in the offseason. And I think myself included, a lot of people didn't necessarily hate the player. It was more so, and not even the money, it was more so the term. But then again... That's what free agency is. Like a free agent's not going to come to you if you don't offer, you know, those things. So I get that. But Tuca can't come back. Uh, Swayman has endured more highs and lows, but he's still learning as a rookie. We've seen that. So my point in this is that hand up, guys. I was wrong. I was wrong. Uh, and Don Sweeney. Big moment. Don Sweeney is vindicated. I mean, there's no other way to really say it. Um, I'm glad Linus Allmark is on this team, no matter what the term or dollar value is, because the fact the facts are, I think he's like sixteen six and one this year and nine one and one since um since January first. So, I think Don Sweeney uh, is owed an apology from a lot of fans, and uh, this is my public apology to him on this issue. <laughs> I oh, I'm sure he'll some be others. Vi- You're gonna change his day. You're gonna change his day with that. When he's he waiting it. for it, guys. He's waiting yeah, for it. Yeah, he has been bated breath. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is, listen, there's, there's, you know, there's lots of bad goalie contracts and this one isn't one of them. It isn't. And you had to, you had to come into the season, not expecting Tuca, hoping Tuca, the whole thing, but, but expecting to have to change their guard over. And they can't do that with whatever Braden Holpe or one of these guys that everyone was talking about in the summer. Why didn't they sign Braden Holpe to a one year, $2 million deal? Because that doesn't work. It does not work. And he, he, they, they did, you know, ultimately they're in the right spot with Allmark. They're, they're hoping that Swayman can get right up to speed and, and the two of them can battle it out to be the guy and, and take them on a long run. But, but you needed a guy like Allmark here to just for this exact day, just for this mm-hmm. exact day. And, and the way he's played, I mean, he's been awesome yeah. the last eight weeks, you know, right before they went to that COVID break. That trip out west, he won those last two games. He stole them four points, and he's done the same on a few road trips already this this new calendar year. And you, and you can just see him getting more comfortable too, Razor. Like, you know, the record I just said is, like, pretty much impeccable. So, like, when I say that he's only going to get better, maybe the record might come back down to earth a little bit. But, like, little things, he just seems way more comfortable um, you know, whether it's communicating with his defense, um, you know, on dump-ins or just in front of the net, he just seems, he has a couple moments where he seems a little oddballish, but you just see that comfortability now, a couple months in here. 
he's always going to have those odd moments. It's just something, it just, he's not going to look like Tuca. Tuca made it so easy that it's going to look different. We'll get used to that. But to your, and to your point, he's stopping pucks behind the net on a, on a consistent basis. Now he didn't do that the first month of the season. He's starting to make now make the right outlet pass on top of it. They're getting out of the zone a little quicker. And, and yes, he's starting to recognize where these shots come from on a Boston Bruin team. So I agree. I think he, he, he has still has a large ceiling. He can get better and he's going to have to now. When, when Raz came back, we were talking about how we had a conversation on the podcast about how the Bruins essentially have three starting goaltenders, obviously with the Rask news, potentially back to only the two, but at one point in time, they had on contract three goalies that could start for any team. Pretty much, you would think. Would that, because we didn't get to talk to you about this, would that affect? I, clearly, it, it didn't seem like it did. But how could that affect a team or a, a group of goalies knowing that there's there's three guys and somebody doesn't get a chance, even though they're good enough to? It, it certainly can affect some trio of goaltenders. This one was perfectly made for the ability for it to work. Because you had Tuka Rask signing league minimum, Hall of Bruins best. I don't think he's all famer, but one of a great goaltender, great career. He comes in and just plays. He's low maintenance guy. He does not. He doesn't have an ego. Everyone loves him. He goes and plays. Linus Allmark, as we talked about, it's got a big contract. He's got security. Doesn't matter if he plays thirty-five games this year or thirty games. He's getting paid the same next year. He's not fighting for this big deal in the summer. And you have Jeremy Swayman, who can easily understand that it's worth going to the minors, playing games in the minors, playing lots, getting your getting your confidence, getting your pro experience in at that level. So it would have worked because it was a perfect scenario for it to work. And, and I think we also have to give the Bruins organization credit, recognizing that it could have worked. There's lots of different scenarios that it wouldn't work and they might not have brought Tuca back. They, they took a risk, a, a very calculated risk, knowing that this situation's worst thing that possible and it's not that bad. The one thing that I think Rask really would have brought is obviously playoff experience. Uh, now you, you have Allmark and Swayman. Neither one of those ever started an NHL playoff game. Allmark has never appeared in one. Swayman appeared in well, like the 12 minutes or whatever it was, one period when Rask got pulled last year. Uh, are you sold on this tandem being able to be good enough for a playoff run? Or is that something that we're just not going to know the answer to until we get there and one or both of them do it? I think it's it's the latter. We can – you can look at – so many historical references, you know, you look, you can go to a Jordan Binnington, you can go to a Tristan Jari, you can go to, you can basically use any goaltender for this argument, whatever side you're on. So, so I like to kind of stay in the middle on it. And, and I understand I should have an opinion one way or the other, but it, it's really one, they can do it. They have the ability to do it. There's, they can win four out of seven games against another team in this league it's it's but we haven't seen it from either of them so so you sit here and say i'm i'm sure they can but it, it you got to go and do it and will one of these guys become jordan binnington or will one of these guys be tristan jari or jack campbell who you're always wondering if they can pull it off so 
there's there's going to be goalie. Bobrovsky's another guy. Can he, you know, the only sure thing is Vasilevsky at this point. Craig, you know, Anderson's going to have the same thing in Carolina. Is he a guy who can carry your team? Washington, forget it. Pittsburgh, Jari. Bruins, Toronto. So the, everyone's staring at the same thing in the top eight, except for the Tampa Bay Lightning. Yeah, no, it's a great point, Razor. Like, I, I think of uh, that question that Scott just asked, and, you know, like you said, it's, there are no, everybody has the same, if you want to call it, not a problem, everybody has the same question, except for Tampa Bay. Unless your goalie is, is Vasilevsky, then nobody has a sure thing. I mean, hell, even, uh, you know, even when the Penguins won two of three, back in like whatever 16 17 Matt Murray kind of came out of nowhere and, and kind of um you know, along with Mark Andre Fleury but he kind of took over that role and then you saw it with Bennington and you know there are some one offs in fact most of the time a team wins it's not always an elite goalie um if that were the case the Rangers would have 10 cups in the last 15 years and the Bruins would have more than the, than just that one so i mean maybe it's um maybe it's a, to illustrate that you don't need that elite guy you just need a very good goalie and some very very strong structure around him um because i think the bruins are no different than anybody else besides tampa like you said yeah yeah no no there, there's uh there the there's a blueprint there to get to the finals to to win the finals without an elite goaltender nowadays and it's it's the guys in front of you and look at colorado you you want to play them in the playoffs and they have darcy kemper can he do it i, I don't know but i don't want to play colorado in the first round I mean, they're going to score 900 goals. And, you know, to that point, I don't know, Scott, I don't know if you wanted to go to Martian first, but I kind of want to get Razor's opinion on this because, quite frankly, I think, you know, we could talk about Martian afterwards, but it's we all kind of probably have the same thought on it, stupid, and it'll be a rep call. But to your point, Razor, like, I've been going back and forth all year um, on what this team's biggest need is if they want to, you know, accomplish their goal. Is it that two-center or is it on defense? And Scott, this is news to you. I think I have switched back over to, uh, I think their biggest need is, is the blue line. Because Eric Halla, to me, is starting to show that um, you know he can clearly play on that second line. And I just think that if you add, say, JT Miller, and again, I wouldn't complain if they got him, I'm just saying. If you add a, a top two center, a real top two center, but you're still struggling to transition the puck from defense to offense. It doesn't really it, it doesn't really matter that much as much. Like I think so much offense derives from your back end and being able to get the puck out of your zone and transition. Um, if the Bruins can up, upgrade their back end, I think that's where they have to do it. And the question is, uh, so my question to you, Razor, is: Do you think the Bruins are at least willing to give up one of their prized prospects? One of along with a first, likely, for one of those big fish that they, everybody wants them to get? Do you think they're willing to, mainly because it could be Patrice's last year? We don't know. Um, do you think they're willing to, at least? Maybe not Lysel, but maybe Lorai. And, and Swayman, now that Tuca's gone, I think Swayman, who was one of those big prospects, now he's probably off the table, right? So that does affect their deadline uh, um, uh, collateral. I, I'm... It, it, well, we know what the we know the, the the real answer. We know the real answer is that they won't do it for a rental. That's what they're 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 gonna stick to that party line. They they just they've proven it. Um, you know the the what Rick Nash was the rental, but I would imagine they had Rick Nash in their pocket, similar to Taylor Hall, but he couldn't play anymore. Right. So 
they're going to have to have a deal in place or they're going to have to have term to make that deal. And, and if they do, I'm all for, I am not a draft pick guy. I'm not a prospect guy. If I'm a NHL guy, you get an NHL guy with a contract, then, then uh, you can sell every first rounder every year. Cause it's hard to get those guys, especially where they pick 30th and you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, I think they're willing to do it, but it, but it's going to have to be the right. They're not going to, they're not in a position like say Colorado is where they have to win right now, where they have to win it all right this second. Um, so I, I don't think they sell Lysel two first round picks um, everybody else in the organization to get somebody, but, but I think they need someone on the back end and it has to be a serviceable top five guy. Cause again, you can't just pick a number one guy. Like they're, they're not there. They're, right. You're looking at a three, four or five guy that blossoms for your team come playoff time. Well, so, and this is the part that um, is, it's why it's tough for them. Cause you mentioned Colorado, they have to win. Why? Because their roster is so damn good. Whereas the Bruins are in that, I think what you're saying is the Bruins don't have that mindset because they're not at that level. But at the same time, shouldn't they have that mindset? Because I think from the information we know right now, who they have in the system, who they don't have in the system, where their draft picks would be. In my opinion, once Patrice retires, if that is this offseason, they have no chance to win for the foreseeable future, barring some sort of, you know, free agency. I don't know. So shouldn't their desperation be that of Colorado who might have the talent above them, but shouldn't the desperation factor be on par with them considering where their organization could be? Um, I, I don't know about, I don't think desperation is the right word. I think it's, it's self-assessment. I think you, you have to look around and see where you are. And, and I think the teams in the East are all looking at each other saying only four of us are getting out of this. Only four teams are getting out. of. There's going to be four teams, four very good teams that built very good organizations that had very good regular seasons that are literally sitting at home 12 days into the Stanley cup playoffs. And that's the nature of the playoffs. That's the, the nature of the Eastern conference this year. And I don't believe you can truly you you just hope that you hit at the right time and you try and add the right piece but you really all I think all eight of them have to look at it as an organizational move be at the deadline because they're all in a similar position where yes they might be able to win now but they also want to be able to win the next few years. And and that's why I use Colorado as an example because they already blew it last year. And they're going to lose Kadri. They're going to they're losing big pieces. Whereas this team doesn't have to do that. I'm not convinced Patrice is retiring at the end of this season. Um, they're going to have Taylor Hall and David Pasternak and Charlie McAvoy and Brad Marchand. Those are they're pretty good pieces to build around for the next four or five years. Uh, Linus Allmark and Net. So they, they they have pieces there. So I don't think it's. I think you just kind of assess and what you need. And if you can get that piece, then you might have to give up a little more for it. But, but you're not just chasing like nine pieces down to, to put it together for a month and a half. Do you think they can be one of those teams if they don't, you know, say they stand pat or, or just add depth as we've seen them do a couple of times in the past, do you think they can be one of those teams? Can, you know, are they still at a level where they can get hot enough for the playoffs? Because I feel like, 
you know, like, like Brian said, we've had the second line center versus defense debate. I think for me, it's more just about a real impact player. Like I think they actually have pretty good depth and I feel like it's, they need something that's going to be a meaningful upgrade at either spot, you know, wherever they can find it, wherever the deal is uh, in order to take a next step and like be a serious cup contender. If they aren't able to do that, do do you think, you know, they could still be playing well enough, get hot enough uh, to be able to make a run? I I think they need to add on the back end. I think that's the end, you know, I, I up front, Craig Smith's done nothing this year at some point, you know, if he gets going, um, that adds another, you know, you look what the difference in this team is with David Pasternak scoring 16 goals in 16 games. Um, it, it works out. You win more than you lose when that guy's scoring. And, and again, Craig Smith's a guy they've relied on and wanted to score more. He's not this year. Uh, I would expect him to go on a run. He's not going on a past a run, but he's going to go on a run here sooner than later, just because he's a streaky score. You have an asset, Jake DeBrusk, that should be able to get you something at, at some point. I'm assuming that's still out there. And so so for me, it, it's it, they need to be bigger. They just need a, another Derek Forbert type, maybe more impactful guy on the back end. That's that's the way I see it. I think they can get hot enough up front. I guess that's the answer. I think they can get hot enough in goal. I think they can get hot enough up front to challenge these other teams. I think the issue is is getting hammered every single night in the playoffs on the back end. Well, where, where, where can you, the question is like, where, what position can you survive more so than the others without having, you know, the most talent, right? So like, for example, I just think that, like I said earlier, when like all of your offense stems from defensive zone transition, if you don't have that, if you can't weather the storms in your own end, especially over, you know, four, seven game series on defense, then you have no chance because number one, your goalie is going to be peppered. Uh, you can't get you can't get moving north. So I just think whereas you know you can survive with Halla and a you know you know somebody in for DeBrusque or whomever. But on the back end, I I just think I'm starting to really believe that that's where they have to improve. I knew that all along, but if it's one or the other, I do think it's the back end. Great. All right. Do, do you want to uh, transition quickly uh, while we have Razor and get it, get your thoughts on? What Marshan did, uh, you know, we don't have to do suspension predictions necessarily. It looks like because it's in person, you know, that opens it up to being five or more possibly. But um, just your, your thoughts on him losing his cool like that. You know, it's something that he hasn't done. Even the, the suspension early this year was more like heat of the battle, kind of, you know, a hockey battle going against a guy. Whereas this is the the kind of stuff that, we really haven't seen in a while from him where he really loses his cool like that. It's after the whistle. It's not the run of play. You've already had Bergeron get injured in the game. So you would think he'd be, you know, kind of even more, you know, on watch, making sure he keeps himself in control because you really can't afford to lose two thirds of your top line. Uh, what did you think of it? And, you know, how do you think it affects them in, in the immediate short term here? Well, what do I, I I think Patrice going out down, I think the issue with Tuca, I think the all-star game snub, I think all of these things looking back could have given us an idea that something crazy was going to happen and him slapping the puck out of Jari's like he was, 
you look back in hindsight, and all of it was foreshadowing to this point. You could see yeah. he was aggravated. He also blocks Crosby for going Crosby. to the bench for a yeah, stick. Like he yeah. was just he was on edge, and he 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 was annoyed with the snub. He's annoyed by that, and and rightly so. And that's what happens when he gets on edge. This is this is we've seen it before, and he's been able to hold it back, and and he wasn't able to, and. Now it, it just it just it just stinks because everybody who's defended him and everyone who's been trying to say, well, he's he's moved on from those things and look, he's the, the best left winger in hockey, and then you you just sit there and have to eat that sandwich uh, that has been given to you by him as a fan, and and that can be frustrating. It's certainly frustrating for the organization. I think you can see that from Cassidy's remarks after the game. Uh, they're none too happy about it, and it's going to cost them some, some ducats. It's going to cost them some games. And, but again, more importantly, it just goes to, it just goes to that reputation even more. So it just builds and you know, now he's to what, nine suspensions. It's hard to be the best left winger in hockey. If you've had, got, been suspended nine times, it, it just is. It's just very difficult to say that about someone if they've been suspended that often. What would you do if you were Tristan Jari after that? Oh, I mean, you're just loving it. You're absolutely so excited that whatever you were able to say was able to make him go bananas like that. Like, you're absolutely loving it last night as a goaltender. That is the absolute best way to finish a game that you stole on the road is to get Brad Marshall on the loser mind like that. And and Brad Did has to know that. Did you ever do something like that? What's that? Did you ever do something like oh, that? Oh, I'm sure I said things to people that, that made them want to do that. I don't think I got under, you know, I wasn't, I didn't get Brad, I guess, on a good day to be able to get under his skin that much, but I certainly would have said something to him had I been able to do so. Yeah, it would have been, you know, that's that's fun. I mean, whatever the league comes down with, you know, Tristan Jari is literally, to raise his point, he's laughing under his mask um, as the buzzer goes. So, you know, whatever the suspension is, you know, it's going to be, X amount of games for pure stupidity and reputation because it wasn't a play that hurt him or anything like that. Um, but, you know, quite frankly, I guess for a silver lining, it means other guys are going to have to step up, right? I mean, uh, earlier in the year, there were some COVID issues where guys had to step up. Hopefully this can get some a Craig Smith going or, or whomever. Somebody has to step up, next man up. You know, I also don't think it helps matters that, um, and, you know, forgive me if somebody already said this, but Marshan should be in Beijing right now, right? If it wasn't for uh, for some you know, other issues preventing the NHL players from being there. So I'm sure he's pissed off about that as well. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, any anyway, yeah, so so they'll have to uh, move on without, without Marshy and Bergeron, uh, at least for Thursday night. Good news is they're only facing Carolina, who beat them 7-1 <laughs> to one last time. So. Yeah, they can't be down. I mean, they're not going to be down 5-1 to one after the first. I promise you that. So it'll be better. Whatever it is, it's better than last time. Uh, did any of you guys have a, a question for Riz before we uh, let him out of here? No, I think uh, I think we're good. All Just right. uh, before before Razor takes off, the final plug: Sunday skate coming back February twentieth, eleven a.m. Tune in on on WEI. Yes, sir. You can also, uh, in addition to that, Razor's obviously on uh, Bruins pre and post game on Nesson. Uh, great podcast with uh, Billy Jaffe, uh, Morning Brew. Razor, I actually I laugh every time I listen because <laughs> the amount of times Billy says. I know, bud. I know, bud. But I know, bud. Like you, you should. <laughs> yeah, you, you should. That's you his should, way of disagreeing with me. You should take a shot every time he says, yeah, "I, I hear you, bud. I know, bud." 
it's the, it's the best. <laughs> yeah. you, you guys are awesome on it. Um, Thank you. So there's appreciate obviously it. that as well. Uh, but uh, yeah. we appreciate you coming on for this, and uh, we'll let you get out of here. Awesome. Thanks, gang. Enjoy the uh, fallout from the week. It's going to be day-to-day. I'm sure we're going to have lots to talk about. All right, welcome back. And again, a huge thanks to, to Razor for, for joining us for the second time in – We've only had about 40 plus episodes together, Scott. So, I mean, what's the percentage on that? I don't want, I'm not a big math guy, but I mean, he, he loves, he loves, he loves, he loves the skate pod. Yeah. One in 20, so five, five percent of the time. Hey, yeah. That's not bad. That's not bad. Um, all right. So basically we, we, you know, the, the major things we talked about with, with Razor were obviously the Tuka Rask news. Um, by, but, by the way, Br- Bridget, uh, not with us on this, uh, little recap part. Uh, she's working the Merloni and Fourier shift that she does every day. Um, if you happen to notice that she went quiet for a few stretches while we had Razor on, it is because we are recording via Zoom. And uh, as has come up before, Bridget is a pet wrangler and uh, had, had some dog and cat issues going on, you know, classic rivalry uh during the recording of this if there was no mute feature you would have heard it so yeah you know i didn't even know that until afterwards like i I was thinking to myself like you know is bridget lagging for the last half hour (laughs) um no she pretty much yeah she she's running a debbie's pet land in her house right now she she has a new dog named melvin little puppy uh adorable we haven't met him yet but we've heard him on zoom and obviously uh yeah a couple cats running around the house so yes no bridget she's burning the midnight oil but um and actually, yeah, so the biggest takeaways from Razor, uh, obviously the Tuka Rask news, it looks like he is, he, he's not going to be able to make his, his, uh, his return. Um, he gave it a go, which, look, Scott, um, whether you like Tuka or, or, or dislike Tuka or you follow somewhere in between, um, everybody should be able to agree on the fact that regardless of the outcome, Tuka Rask owed it to himself to see if he could come back. And I think the team owed it to him and themselves as well that he gave it a shot. Yeah, and I also think it's important to point out that, like, this wasn't, you know, certainly from Rask's perspective, but even from the Bruins, this wasn't like, well, we'll just, you know, there's very little chance it's going to work out, but we'll just see, you know, let's just go through it and see what happens. You know, every, every, all parties involved thought it was going to work. You know, Rask, Rask himself said he might, may not have even needed the surgery if he wasn't intending on playing hockey again. If he was just, you know, living a normal life, uh, it's possible he wouldn't have even needed the surgery or, you know, might have been able to kick it down the road a few years. Um, but he, you know, he expected to be able to play and, and to help this team. Uh, that's why he got the surgery. It's why he went through all the rehab. And, you know, he knew all along it might only be for half a season. There were, there were no guarantees beyond this year. Uh, you know, and he, he wanted to do that. He wanted to go through all that. That's, it's a lot to go through for, you know, what he was hoping would be three, four months of hockey. Uh, obviously, you know, this setback was not anticipated. It was not, uh, you know, Rask was feeling good. He, he, he was like almost giddy when he first came back talking about how good he felt and how nice it was to be able to go down to the butterfly and get up without feeling pain, without having to worry about, uh-oh, you know, is my hip going to catch this time? Is it going to lock up on me? Um, you know, he was he was excited. And it sucks, obviously, that, you know, he had the setback that 
was believed to be minor at the time, you know, didn't really think much of it and just kept lingering. I, you know, I don't know if it got worse or got complicated, but, uh, you know, obviously it's gotten to a point now where he's already missed two weeks. He was going to miss at least another one. He figured there would have to be some rehab and, you know, going through some of that again on the back end of that. Cause you know, three weeks, that's turning into a pretty lengthy absence on its own. And, you know, I think it just got to a point where it seems like he's decided, you know what, I, I don't think I can get back, you know, now that I've gone through this, now that I've been out there on the ice and now I'm dealing with this already, I don't think I can get back to where I need to be or where I expect to be or where, you know, the Bruins want me to be in order to help them. Um, you know, so it's, it's tough, but that that's, as we discussed with the Razor, like that's why, the Bruins did go out and sign Allmark. They were always open to Rask coming back and helping them. And, you know, they hoped that would happen, but they didn't want to put themselves in a position where they needed it to happen, where their entire season hinged on Tuka Rask coming back and being prime Tuka Rask. Uh, they were going to give themselves security. And, you know, like, as you said, like that's, it, it paid off. They, like, you know, getting that security blanket, making sure they were set, rask or no rask, uh, has has paid off. Yeah, and also like like I said earlier, and you know, I I, I conceded. I I tip my cap to to Donnie, and um, he was right to bring in Allmark, not just because of Tuca um, not being able to go, but because Swayman, you know, turns out isn't necessarily. A, you know the phenom we all may may have hoped he could be, even though we knew that was wishful thinking. Anyway, he's definitely had more highs than lows this year. Jeremy Swayman has, but he's clearly still developing on the fly, and so so Don is vindicated. Uh, Scott, and yeah, like Tuca seemed like a kid in the candy store when he first came back. Those unofficial practices, and you know, skating with Bob Asenza. Um, he you know he just seemed happy to be back, and I think that this ailment, this setback. While he necessarily may have expected something to go wrong at some point, he really hoped, you could tell he hoped that he was good to go, and it just turns out he wasn't. So, Scott, very polarizing player in Boston sports history, and I want to point out he's not officially announced anything. Um, This is all speculation still, informed speculation. But if my math is correct, and as we talked about before, I'm not a huge math guy, but I think, Scott, you were probably a senior in high school, maybe a freshman in college when Tuca was a rookie. Um, so all this time, later, been, yeah, I would have been in, just starting college at that point. Yeah. Well, yeah. Cause I think I was, I was 14 or 15. So, so fast forward the clock. What is, what is, how is Scott McLaughlin going to remember Tuka Rask? As probably the greatest goalie in Bruins history as one of the best goalies of his generation. And as someone that a very, vocal subset of Bruins fans and media uh, have not properly appreciated and have criticized and ripped occasionally fairly, oftentimes unfairly in my mind. Um, I think the the problem when it comes to how Rask is viewed by some around Boston, New England is two, is twofold. One or maybe threefold. One, he succeeded Tim Thomas, who, you know, had 
two excellent regular seasons where he won uh, the Vezina Trophy and an excellent playoff run where he wins the Conn Smythe and the Bruins win the Cup. Uh, set a ridiculously high standard. Tim Thomas still in, you know, now 10 years later, 11 years later, still owns the best save percentage in NHL playoff history. Number one, ahead of Hashik, ahead of anyone else you can name. Tugaras, by the way, is is ninth. <laughs> he's in the top ten, uh, but he's not he's not number one like Tim Thomas. And he didn't uh, he was great in two runs, two Cup finals. He was great in 2013. Uh, the way he played in the Eastern Conference Finals in that sweep of the Penguins was absolutely lights out. He was great for the overwhelming majority of the 2019 run to the Cup final. Um, he was part. You know, unfortunately for him, was part of really three collapses that should be blamed on the entire Bruins team, but will be blamed on him and have been blamed on him. Uh, and that we're, of course, talking about 2010, blowing the 3-0 lead against the Flyers. Not just 3-0 series lead, but a 3-0 Game 7 lead. Uh, we're talking about 2013, Game 6 against the Blackhawks where they give up the two late goals and, you know, Chicago wins it on garden ice. And then game seven, 2019 against the blues where the entire team no ship. Like that was, you know, like that was the, this year's Bruins against Dallas or Carolina. That was just like a complete no show of a game where it's like, how does that happen with an entire roster of players in game seven of a Stanley cup final on home ice? Yeah. Uh, and, and, and Rask was not great in those games, but you know, he, that will be held against him more than it's held. You know, it's never going to be held against Bergeron. Uh, Martian's leaving the ice early on a back check and not getting, you know, uh, majorly contributing to one of those blues goals will more or less be forgotten. Like that will not be a huge part of his resume when, whenever his time comes to call it quits. Mm. Uh, it will always be part of Tuka's resume. That's just, it's the nature of the position. And, you know, unfortunately, in my mind, unfortunately, like that stuff for a lot of people is going to overshadow all the good, all the great regular seasons, the Vezina Trophy, the other great playoff series, you know, even just outside of those moments. I mean, 2013 Cup Final, he was great early in that series against Chicago. Um, and then I think, you know, had the game six and maybe one other tough game in there. But, you know, that's it, those weren't Stanley Cup clinching games. So it, mm-hmm. it gets brushed aside. And, and I don't I don't think it's fair because I think, one, winning a Stanley Cup is extremely difficult. And a lot of great goalies have not done it. Henry Glundquist was the best goalie of his generation just had a, you know, an incredible ceremony getting his number retired in New York is remembered as a hero. There like Tugarask does not have a Stanley cup. Carey price will be a legend in Montreal, a place that, you know, still talks about all the Stanley cups they won in the 40, 50s through, you know, through the seventies. Uh, Carey price is going to be a legend there. He never won a Stanley cup. Uh, it just feels like Tuga Rask does not get that same understanding or benefit of the doubt in Boston 
And it doesn't help that he played in an era in Boston where everyone won. You know, Patriots won six Super Bowls. The Red Sox have won four World Series. Uh, the Celtics won a title. His, you know, like I said, the guy he was battling with for a few years early in his career won a Stanley Cup as a starter. So that's the standard you get held against. It, you know, Ray Bork doesn't get remembered as someone who didn't win a cup because Boston wasn't winning then. Boston didn't expect to win, didn't know winning. Like, you know, the Bruins didn't win during that, that era, but other than the Celtics in the 80s, neither did any other Boston team. Um, so I realize I've been rambling, but that's <laughs> – I've, I've been thinking tell about you, this. Tell so me how you really feel, Scotty. Yeah, so that, you know that's, but that's a lot of my my big picture thoughts on Tuca, uh, I guess. Uh, I'm just kidding. No, um, I agree with a lot of what you said. I mean, the, the thing about Tim Thomas too is that it's not just the numbers uh, in the championship that he won. Um, there was a Hollywood style underdog story to him that came with those numbers and statistics. Um, and so, you know, Tim Thomas was like just the the ultimate the ultimate underdog, um, who you know helped snap a 40, 39, 40, 39 year uh, drought. Thirty nine, yeah. But um, look, I think with Tuca, and like I said, I agree with a lot of what you said, and I I truly believe that over the over the course of his career in Boston, I call it the way that I see it. Like I I never I don't blame him for everything that happens. But I also don't let him off the hook for everything. Like, and, and there is there is a faction of people who blame him for everything, and then there's a faction of people who excuse him for everything. And I think a lot of that's because they try to they can't stand you know each other, so they try to they they lose they lose sense of you know it's, there's a lot of gray. And when I think about those years, I think the reason goalies oftentimes get compared to their counterpart, right? So the Philadelphia series, I'll tell you why they lost that series. It's because David Krejci went down when they were up yeah. three. Now, that's no excuse to lose the next four games. I'm just explaining that had a major impact more so than Tuca did. But then you look at who the Flyers had in that. And so the Flyers come back down from down 0-3, and they're propelled by, uh, was it, um, uh, what's this guy's name over at NBC? Um, Brian something. Boucher. Yeah, Brian Boucher. You know, Brian Boucher couldn't hold Tuka's jockstrap on his best day, but he out, you know, he outperformed him in a series, right? Um, the uh, the 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 twenty thirteen finals. I'll tell you why the Bruins lost that game six. Now, granted, Patrice Bergeron likely wouldn't have been able to play in Game Seven had they won. Although he, you know, anything's possible with Bergeron, as we know. But the Bruins would have had to have probably won on the road in Game Seven. But the reason the Bruins lost that game six, which, by the way, I'm pretty sure, like, the, both those goals were tipped or something. But Claude Julien... And yeah, and that there, there were, like, scrambles around the net. Like, yep, there was, yep. there was but, a lot going on that the, the Bruins' defense had let Chicago well, get inside. Look, first, and, of all, first of all, first of all, let's, 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 let's really take a look back at history. That series, okay... I remember in like the second overtime of game one, Casper Dogovins, remember that name? Um, he had a wide open net in double overtime. He missed. Bruins lose the game. Bruins could have taken a one nothing lead in that series. They lose the game, but they still win the next two. People forget the Boston Bruins had a 2-1 series lead in overtime in Boston in game four. You win that game instead of Brent Seabrook, now you're up 3-1. That's not Tuka's fault. Now... <laughs> The goal wasn't. I don't. I don't. I never liked that Seabrook goal to be honest. But the Bruins could have won that game. 
The reason the Bruins lost game six, Scott, is because Claude Julian should have called a timeout. You need to have a feel for the game. I really, I, I, At the time, I said, Claude, call a timeout because Chicago's feeling it. Because they were buzzing before that goal. And you don't call the timeout, Bruins lose. Fine. And then the 19 series against uh, the Blues. I've gone on record saying, I think, I thought it was a mistake. I understand why it was done. I thought it was an absolute mistake to not dress David Backus against his former team who he captained for almost, I don't know, seven, eight years in a game seven for the for, for, for the biggest prize in the sport. And you don't dress him. You don't think that guy would have been motivated. Other things happened. A whole game transpired. But there's little things along the way. It's not just Tuca, to your point. Um, I remember him as somebody who was, you know, polarizing, extremely talented. Um, but, you know, ultimately he wasn't the best. I guess, you could, I guess it's fair to say he wasn't the best winner. Um, because, you know, the Bruins... And I, I think I think that that's true for the Bruins of the 2010s because the Bruins, you know, they've they've had one of the best records in hockey over the last dozen years, truly, since 0708 or 0809 when they won the President's Trophy, or they came in second to San Jose. They've been one of the best teams in hockey in a regular season, and they got one cup to show for it. And ultimately, it's a team thing. Moving on. Um, it does affect the Bruins because if Tuka Rask was able to stay healthy this year, I do think that Jeremy Swayman could have been um, a potential asset at a trade deadline should the Bruins wanted to you know, uh, move him for, for a big fish. I think Jeremy Swayman is now really off the table. So that affects the team, I think, at the deadline as far as what they may have for collateral willing to give up. Now it's probably, you're talking... You know, the big assets they're going to give up if they w want to would be one of Lorai, Lysel, and some sort of, you know, first-round pick, right? That's kind of what you're looking at now? Yep. Yeah, and, and you know, the other big area it affects you, like I mentioned, is you lost the only playoff experience that you had in goal. So, you know, I know a lot of fans have wanted Swayman up all along, never wanted him sent down. I think there, you know, seems to be – even some momentum as far as supporting Allmark, uh, given how he has played over the last month and a half, two months, uh, you know, that's what you have now. So, you know, you better hope that one of them, at least one of them, if not both are, are able to step up in the playoffs and are not overwhelmed by that moment. Um, you know, I, so I didn't really, get into this with Razor because I knew we were kind of running low on time, but I am not totally like 100% buying into this tandem. Like, I still think they're, I mean, I think their play and their numbers on the season in general have been average to below average in, in some areas. And even Omar on this run where they where he's got nine, one and one since January 1st, do you know what his save percentage is since January 1st? Uh, is it like, no, I don't. 902. That's, you know, that's not good. Like, league average is 911. Um, you know, it's not, it's not horrible by any means, but it's not like he has had some really good games. And Razor was right to point out, uh, the game in Arizona that he stole, you know, I thought he was really good in that Colorado game. Yeah, me too. That the, the team ended up, you know, choking away at the end. But, you know, so that's not to say, like, he hasn't had really good games or that he hasn't stolen any points. I think he has. But I also don't think they went 9-1-1 one one 
uh, you know, exclusively because he was playing lights out in that. Like, I think no. the entire team was playing great. How many of those wins did they score five or more goals? So, um, you know, I think they made the job, you know, much easier on him as well. So, you know, I, I think Allmark and Swayman, I feel the same way I did going into the season. Like, there was absolutely the potential there for this to be a really good tandem. I, I think both of them are talented. Uh, I just think, you know, you're going to want to see it for, for a longest stretch. They're, that first half of the season, I think they finished well. They were playing well when COVID hit and derailed everything. They had been inconsistent before that. I think Allmark has been fine, but probably not quite as good as his record uh, since the turn of the new year. And Swayman, you know, we'll see. He just made his first NHL start in a month, so I'm not going to freak out about, you know, one tough game against Pittsburgh. But he did give up one soft goal to Danton Heinen and at least had a chance on the other two that he gave up. Um, You know, Cassidy, Cassidy called him out after the game, which I think was... That was a deliberate message sent, you know, like I think he he wanted to get the message through to Swayman that like, hey, you're, you know, you, you're here to stay now. Like you're one of our two. We're counting on you. We need you to step up. And, you know, so I think that was kind of Cass's way of like needling him a little, you know, it's been, it's been a lot of positives around Swayman. He hasn't faced much criticism, uh, which is fine. But like, I think, you know, Poking him a little bit like that, I think was uh was not a bad thing. You know, just kind of let him know that, like, hey, you know, we're counting on you. This isn't just, you know, feel good story, glad you're here anymore. Like now you're you're one of the guys and we need you. Yeah, well said, well said. I definitely think that there's like a um a happy go lucky nature to Swayman, especially when, you know, and it's only natural, like, you know, you're it's your first year in the NHL full time, you know, whatever it is. Um and there's there is just a you know happy to be there mentality. I'm sure anybody would have, but but what you're saying is true. Like Bruce Cassidy is essentially saying, hey, don't forget what your job is, right? Like we're expecting you to make the saves you're supposed to make. Um, and I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. You know, it's not all it's not all you know sunshine, rainbows, and all mark hugs, right? Like we need you, we need you. Um, so I think that's I think that's a good point. And um, yeah, I I just I, I don't know. I just think that. You know, with 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 Allmark and Swayman, what I would say to your point is kind of what Razor and I were talking about as well. It's like I hear you, I agree with you, but how many tandems are NHL teams really sold on? You know, like they're they're the league is quite literally full. Even if the even as a goalie tandem that's been playing lights out in the regular season, like there's still that. Well, you got to prove it when it matters most. Question mark. So unless like. Unless you're Tampa Bay, everybody has those those question marks. So I wouldn't, while it's fair to ask it and bring it up on a podcast, like I just think that they're no different than anybody else in that situation. Um, Carolina, I'm sure, has question marks. Look, the Carolina Hurricanes, that's been their biggest Achilles heel for the last couple of years. Is uh, like Their roster hasn't changed that much, but now they're some sort of juggernaut. Well, because they're getting goaltending. Um, and granted, their young stars are gaining more experience and more confidence. That's That's true, too, but... You know, Colorado, Colorado, Carolina, Florida. Talk about teams that from from the center position down to their last defenseman are just totally stacked. And if they lose, chances are it's because they'll have lost the goaltending battle to, to an opponent in, play, in the playoffs. So, 
Uh, I think it's fair to ask the questions you are, but you and everybody else, except for Tampa Bay, really. Um, so some 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 updates uh, personnel-wise. Um, the Bruins practice today. Obviously, we're still waiting to hear on Martian. I guess it's safe to assume it'll be between you know three and five games, probably at least. Um, Patrice, Bur- I, I think it's it's going to be. I think five is the minimum. Okay, getting the in-person hearing, like I. So I, I haven't done this in, in a little bit, but at one point last year, like I went through. I think it was. It must have been when Wilson hit Carlo because they wanted to get an idea. Mm-hmm. Um, when they have an in-person hearing. That allows them to go, you know, five or more. And based like maybe 100% of the time, at the very least, like 95% of the time, when they do it in person and they can go five or more, they do. Like it's, it's almost unheard of for them to have an in person hearing and then stay under five. So we'll see. I guess, you know, one thing that could potentially mitigate that is if, you know, if Martian is able to tell them what Jari said and it's something really bad, you know, I don't know what it would be, but it, like if there's like an actual legitimate mitigating circumstance there where, you know, uh, George Paros and whoever else is in that room goes, no, oh, okay, you know, we didn't know that. And they're able to, you know, go get the audio from somewhere or corroborate with the ref or something like, I don't know. I guess that's a, a possibility, but it seems... Seems likely that it's going to be at least five. I mean, I just have a I just have a hard time with this accepting this because, like, it was so it was so stupid, like so stupid. But like, this this whole history factor, if it's not for Marshan's history, which by the way, there should be some sort of correlation between history, like a history of doing what. Like, if it's a history of doing the same thing, yeah. But, like, what Martian did was so stupid. But, like, Marcus Foligno need a guy in the head last night. Like, and there's nothing. There, there's no, there's no, uh, or sh- I should say there's no in person, which means it'll only be so many if he gets disciplined. And what Brad Martian did, if anybody else does that besides Martian, I don't even know if you're getting fined. But we're going we're gonna to slap seven games on him for it? Because of history? History of what? History of slew-foots? Yes. History of... Well, that's really as big as history of slew-footing. Um, but there's no correlation yeah, between... There's that a, hist- a low bridge, like an elbow to the yeah, head, yeah, but, I think, was one of the suspensions. Yeah, but, yeah. but, 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 there's, no, but there's no history of, um, of hitting people. Oh, no, he did hit... Um, um, uh, what's his, uh, Marcus Johansson uh, with an elbow to the head uh, back in, like, 17. So that would be a headshot. Um, which he was suspended for. But my point is, like, if you watch what happened, like, first of all, the stick, like, if it grazed Jari, it grazed him barely. I, I don't even think Martian was trying to hit him. He, he was trying to fake him out, and I think it grazes his uh, neck guard, uh, mask, whatever the hell it was. But regardless, we're going to give him seven games for this because he has a history of low-bridging people. Meanwhile, like, my, I guess my point is, Scott, there's so much inconsistency. And and by the way, like Martian, I don't know. He, I get it. He, his 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 history is deserved, but there's no correlation between what he did and what his history is. So why should that really? You know, I'm not. I, I'm not saying yeah, I mean, him, I but. think I think it's a history of stuff that has the potential to hurt someone. And you know, the match penalty that he got was for intent to injure, which I guess you're going to argue how much intent's there, but 
like you leaned in and punched the guy in the head and he, you know, he wasn't games, looking at you. Like seven games, six, seven and games for that, Scott. Come on. I, I, I think hear, it's probably maybe five or six, but yeah, but I mean, look, that's it's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah, of yeah you're that. right that someone with no history doesn't get that, but they don't get anything. Too, too bad he's not. He's not someone with no history. No, no. Been, I, yeah, he's right. been suspended seven times. He was suspended earlier this year. Like that. Totally. Yeah, that that follows him and it factors in, and it's it, yes, it's why he's going to get dinged much more severely than than someone else. And well, the the simple solution is. Don't be a fucking idiot. Like, just don't, well, don't, yeah. don't don't even put yeah. yourself in that situation. I mean, truly, like it. He, what I can say for sure is that what happened at the end of the game, there was zero, um, there's zero excuse for it. He shouldn't have done it. Like he's a he's a dumbass for putting himself in this situation. What I'm saying is, I just feel like the system is a little is is very just very just like you know, you know, pick a pick a chocolate out of a Valentine's you know box of chocolates like. What are you going to get? You know, it's just like, it's stupid. Like, so Marcus Foligno literally eats a guy in the head. And, and like, the, but then this, it's just, I get it. The history, I, I know. I, I get the reasonings for it. I'm just saying, like, the league is a mess when it comes to this shit. Like, they really are. Not to mention, you and I both know, Marshan has done a lot over the last couple of months that were not subject to suspensions to piss off the league. He called out the league for yeah. pulling the NHL players out of the Olympics. He has, he has, he made fun of a franchise for being the reason why players pay so much in escrow in the Carolina Hurricanes. He was baited by by Matt Kalman. <laughs> was it Matt Kalman? Yeah. Yeah. About was, uh, yep. about the uh, Arizona Coyotes playing in a college stadium. Uh, he also uh, <laughs> he also made fun of Vinny Trocheck. So, <laughs> but again, you know that was in response. My point is, for some reason. For some reason, like I don't know if he's just bored, but he's wildly entertaining. He's brings a lot of eyes and ears to the league, which is a good thing. Um, but he has certainly gotten under the skin of uh, of corporate. We'll call them that, the suits that be in New York. And um, I don't know. I guess just don't put yourself in that situation. Yeah, exactly. Especially just. So pointless. Like, like, like I mentioned to Razor, the, you know, the, the slew foot against Eggman Larson, like, you know, obviously I know there's like debate over how bad it was or whatever. I think as I, at the time, like I, I thought it was a slew foot. I thought it deserved something, but at least like that, it, it happened in, in the run of play where you're going for a puck and yeah, you probably don't take the right angle and your legs somewhere where it shouldn't be. But, you know, at least there's, like, a competitive situation happening there where things happen quickly and, you know, and it just went wrong. This is so dumb. Like, there's nothing good that could come out of that. There's there's nothing going on. It's the end of the game. You lost. I get it. You're frustrated. But you're not baiting him into anything. There's no good that's going to come from it. You're not sending a message. Like, there's, there's just nothing. You're the one who got baited in. You're the one who, who you know, went off the rails, and and the other guy's sitting there laughing. Yeah, I wonder what he would have had, what he would have had to have done to Jari to have Pittsburgh stick up for the goal a little bit more. I mean, <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, you know, guys, guys gathered, but uh, 
I mean, like, he clearly punched the goalie in the head, whether it was vicious or not. And then he goes and, and like, he, how is he even able to get to Jari for the whole high stick part? Like, I don't know. He's just, like, anyway. Um, Crosby just likes him too much. That's yeah. that, that's that oh, Nova Scotia connection. One, one thing on Crosby, by the way, the whole Bergeron incident, um, like, say what you want about Sidney Crosby. You like him, you don't like him. I can tell you one thing. There is probably nobody in the league that Crosby respects more than Patrice Bergeron as a person yep. and as a player. And I, uh, there's no chance in hell that that was on purpose. It sucks that it happened. Um, hopefully, though, Bergeron's okay after Thursday. We sell it for sure. I don't know. Maybe you're looking at, I don't know, maybe maybe anywhere from two to five games he might be out. Maybe more. Who knows? But we just don't know. Yeah. Obviously, just can't predict it with, with head injuries, with concussions and you know, Bergeron has had a history earlier in his career. Obviously, there was there's a time where, where we wondered if his career was over before he was what 25, 26 years old. Uh, he like, was, he, not even, yeah, he was like 20, yeah, he was like twenty two or three that year when Randy Jones hit him. Yeah, um, and then there was there's one or two after the you know there's the uh, one that the hit from Claude Giroux in twenty eleven. Seidenberg that ended. What was that? M- remember, um, remember before that. Uh, so Bergeron came back from his concussion, um, from the Randy Jones injury, um, the following season, and then remember he he collided with Dennis Seidenberg, an innocent looking play, right. and that was another yeah. one before the Giroux yeah. one. So that's yeah, because then there was a Giroux hit where he misses. You know, I remember at that time, like we thought, the the Bruins' potential Stanley Cup run just got derailed, like. Bergeron's going to miss time. He ended up missing, I think it was only two games of that Eastern Conference Finals against Tampa. That's what, you know, led to Sagan getting in the lineup and going crazy in, in that game too. Um, and then, it, unless there's one that I'm forgetting or that we don't know about, I don't think he's had a concussion since then. So, you know, he managed, like, he he got to the other side. He's You know, we've talked about this with someone like Carlo, who has had a few now. It's there are guys who have that early in their career and are able to get past it and not have it continue to happen. And Bergeron has been a prime example of that, of, of a guy who had major concussion issues earlier in his career and did not ultimately have his career derailed, was able to overcome it and, and stay clean. Um, you know, so now, now this happens and, you know, they're not saying concussion, but I think we all know it was. He hit his head against the boards. You know, they're saying upper body. The way Cassie talked today was like, you know, well, it's, you know, it's unpredictable day by day, which, you know, that's how you talk about concussion. Um, you know, so, yeah, you, you hope that there's no, you know, that it doesn't linger longer because of what he's been through in the past or anything like that. Um, and, you know, yeah, like you said, hopefully he's able to, get back soon and, and not miss too much time. Yeah, and, and um, first first of all, health is first and foremost. But when he, if and when he does, I imagine when he does get back on the ice, from a hockey perspective, you also hope that he just, you know, continues to play with with, with the confidence and, and assertiveness he always does. Because when he went down early in his career, like those first couple of years, so he was a rookie with Raycroft in 03-04, then he had the lockout. Then in 05-06 and 06-07, the Bruins missed the playoffs, but he was like one of the lone bright spots, right? He was like a 70-plus point guy. Um, and then, you know, this, to start that 07-08 year, the first year under Julian, 
Um, missed the whole season, essentially. Like, he got hurt in October. Almost came back in the playoffs, but didn't. Um, and then the following year in 08-09, like, 08-09, 09-10, even 10-11 when they won the Cup, his regular season offensive production had dipped from early in his career in a 70-point range to, like, the 40s and the low 50s, I think. Um, obviously, David Krejci emerged at that point, so you don't have to rely on him as that, as that offensive guy all the time. But, it, you know, concussions clearly can take a toll, and uh, hopefully, you know, hopefully he's okay. Um, so how do you, what do you think the lineup, what do you expect the lineup to look like? What are you looking for in the, in the absence of a couple key players here? Uh, well, so the, the way that they were lined up at practice on Wednesday is what was the second line just becomes the first line. Hall, Hall, and Pasternak. Uh, Smith gets reunited with Coyle, and DeBrusk also stays with Coyle. So your second line's DeBrusk, Coyle, Smith. Um, you know, your bottom six, I, I don't know which one of these is third line, which one's the fourth, but they had Bleed No Sick Lazar, which is you know, been your fourth line quite a bit uh, over the last, you know, month, month and a half. So they were together. And then Felino returned Tuesday night. Trent Frederick uh, participated in his first full practice in a while um, on Wednesday. Looks like he'll be back Thursday. And so the lot that line was Felino Frederick Steen. So it looks like that's probably what they're going to go with barring Something unforeseen. Uh, Cassidy did mention that, you know, they'll talk about possibly calling someone up, but I, my guess is that might just be like a, they might just end up settling for like a taxi squad move where it's Stephen Fogarty's back as the extra forward. Um, but we'll see. I guess, you know, it's not out of the question that they call someone up, but, you know, everyone's going to jump to Jack Stanika, Stanika time. I, I, I don't know if it is. Um, maybe if it ends up being longer term with Bergeron, yeah, that's what I was thinking. That might be what you consider. I think if it's if they think it's short term, they'll probably just roll with the guys who are already here, who are on the NHL roster, and you know don't need to be called up, don't need to deal with any salary cap stuff. So that's you know what I just listed is what I would expect for Thursday night, but we'll see. Yeah, I agree. I think I think it depends on Bergeron's situation. Um, one last thing for me, Scott. Uh, I know the, I know the numbers on the power player there, um, but on the power play and mainly on five on five, but also on the power play, um, and I know they t- that the stat sheet will tell you otherwise, that they're getting shots through, but don't you feel like, let's stick let's stick with five on five. Don't you feel like the Bruins defense aren't doing a great job of getting pucks to the net, and if they are. They're very much like from the cor- the far side of the blue line, kind of just like a hope and a prayer. Like why, why can't why can't they why don't they more often straddle the blue line or just get themselves in a position to let a shot go from the middle of the blue line? Doesn't have to be a back scratcher, but doesn't it just seem like they don't get a quality a ton of quality chances from the back end to cre- create rebounds? Because in a game like last night, like that's kind of like one of those ways you score a goal and tie the game potentially. But instead they start trying to be a little too cute. Like, I don't know, just, like, do you do you notice that too, or is it, am I just being over-observative um, with that? Yeah, I also think one thing that it seems like their defensemen are doing more, especially guys like Riley Grizzly, McAvoy, is moving low. So their movement is from the point yeah. to going down the boards, and 
looking for either a centering pass, taking it behind the net, you know, whatever the, you know, what try to find whatever's open that way and less the walking the blue line like you're talking about. So I don't know if that's, I assume it's by design. Obviously, if, you know, if Cassie didn't want them doing that, there'd be an, an effort to change it. So I don't know if that's just like kind of the, a stylistic thing where they realized, where they thought like, either we're better at this or this is what teams are giving us or, or whatever. But um, yeah, to your point, I, I think you're right. You know, I would need to dive into some numbers, but I think you're right that like just in general, they're not doing a great job getting shots from, you know, from the blue line on, on net or in position for tips. And I, I don't, I, maybe that's just this personnel. That's not a strength of this group. I, you know, I I'm not sure, but it. Um, for the most part, but. yeah, it, it kind of seems like it, it sort of seems like they're just trying to do different things in the offensive zone and aren't you know aren't looking for for tip goals in front or or you know or setting stuff up that way. It just kind of it just creates it just creates chaos. Like <clears throat> they do what you do uh, or what you they do what you said they do. They do they do uh, go from the blue line down to the goal line and try to you know. But to me, you know, unless it's a clean play, like. A, a puck coming at the net from the sideboards, it's not an optimal angle. It very seldom gets to where you want it to be. It'll get blocked or it'll, or, you know, worst case, it goes wide and it, it wraps around. Um, like, I just, I don't expect Derek Forbert or Brandon Carlo to do it all the time. But Matt Grizzlick, Charlie McAvoy, Mike Riley, they need to put themselves in situations where they're, they're, they're getting the puck to the net from the top of the blue line because it's the best percentage of, of – of, uh, it's a high percentage chance if it gets through. Um, and I, I believe in their mobility enough to, to set, make, separate from um, the offside wing who's covering them or whatever. Like that's – got to figure that out um, because it is it, – because far too often, if they're not going from the blue line to the goal line, like you said, they're going D to D. And the defense that's receiving the pass is moving, you know, backwards, and he just gets the pretty much the boards and tries to freaking, you know, get the pucks. It's not going to happen. Like that's just, it's blocked. It's not getting to the net. It's you gotta you gotta find ways to, to attack more from um from from the, from the middle of the blue line, especially the mobile defensemen. And I do think there's some personnel issues. But with Matt Grizzlick, Matt, uh, Charlie McAvoy, and Mike Riley. They gotta find a way to shake their checks and get open. Um, and if it's not the defenseman, Scott, it needs to be a, a, a forward coming high and, and filling in there. And just you gotta get you gotta get pucks in that from from a high percentage look, in my opinion. Um, because 41 shots, I think they had 41, 43 shots against Pittsburgh, but not a ton of great, you know, looks. Uh, it's I'm a big quality over quantity person. Um, unless you're unless you're women's team USA against Canada uh, with 70 shots on goal. Um, <laughs> Because those girls, all those girls are they're phenomenal players, um, but the Bruins aren't getting those types of quality shots. They're just kind of getting perimeter shots, which isn't isn't great. And they should know that because that's that's what they pride themselves on. They they keep teams to the perimeter, so they should know that that's not really an effective uh, shot. By the way, so just to while you were talking, I went to Money Puck, you know, one of my nerd stat sites. Mm-hmm. Uh, in shots blocked, looking at the Bruins defense core. Uh, Mike Riley, Brandon Carlo, Charlie McAvoy, Matt Grizzly, all rank above average in terms of percentage of chances blocked. So only Charlie McAvoy ranks above average in shots on goal, and that's only slightly. So when you say above uh, average, you mean as in like like the, more of their shots compared get to the rest of the league. More of their yeah. shots get blocked. 
Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So that's that's four of your six defensemen who yeah. uh, get more shots blocked than what an you know uh, an average defenseman would expect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And look, I'll tell you this much: if the Bruins ever were to find a way to to land a Jacob Chikrin, that's a guy who gets his shots through. And um, yeah, and that, that's that's cannon who who can do damage with it too. Yeah, that's that impact player that you're talking about. You know, I watched him against the Bruins a few weeks ago, and um, yeah, yeah, he can move. He can move. Like there, there's a there's there's few defensemen that you watch, and when they're moving, you're like, yeah, that guy that guy can wheel. Kale McCarr's on on his own level. Beneath him, I feel that way about McAvoy when he's going. I feel that way about Chicken when I saw him going. So. That's a conversation that we'll be having until uh, the deadline, anyway. But so no need to go into that, I guess, right now. But we've also taken up a ton of time here. I feel like <laughs> it's about. I know we we were just gonna do like a like quick wrap up, you it's know, possible when you're talking hockey post post Raycroft, and yeah, yeah, here we are. That's okay. That's all right. Um, all right. Well, I'm 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 good, Scott. So if you're good, yeah, we can wrap. I'm it good. Up. Okay. Do you want to plug it one more time? Sunday skate. Sunday skate, February twentieth. 11 a.m. will be on every week for as long as the Bruins are playing this season. And it's me, Matt Kalman, and Andrew Raycroft. Bridget and Prue producing. Bridget so. Prue is producing. If you're wondering where I am in this equation, uh, I, I'm, I'm going to be that first-time, long-time, every-single-day <laughs> caller. Uh, so that so that's how, I'll, that's how I'll get on there. But um, I'm, I'll, I'll be listening. I'll be listening. Should be pretty good. I'll, I'll expect some hot takes. Are you hosting that? Uh, no, I think I think Matt Kalman gets the the one share. He's got uh, more on air experience than than Razor Eye, so he doesn't have forty three episodes of the Skate Pod to his credit. Actually, he does. Actually, he yeah, does. I was gonna say actually, actually he, he does. does. Like, <laughs> he does. He was the first forty. He was the first forty one. Uh, anywho, all right. Well, I'll be listening. Um, so that wraps it up for episode eighty. Uh, how many games do they have this week, Scott? Before our next uh, recording. Carolina Thursday, Ottawa Saturday. I forget what the schedule looks okay. like after that. I just go one day at a time, Brian. All right. Oh, I know that. I know. Take 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 it day by day. I understand. All right. So you got you got two or three Bruins games to, to watch and some Olympic hockey as well. And we'll recap the B Pop final. I assume we'll ha- that'll be in the books next time we we speak as well. Yes. We didn't yeah. even talk about the B- the Bean Pot yet. But BU versus Northeastern. And how sick were those BU uniforms, my goodness incredible give them I, some red those in reds too my god those are i haven't bought a bu jersey since i was a student at bu because you know i've, I've covered them on and off a lot since then so you know it's that awkward like yeah it's my you know it's my school but you know reporter versus fan type thing mm-hmm. but i feel like i gotta buy one of those those things are were awesome those are sick 100 those are awesome all right we, we've taken up way too much time we'll get out of here thanks for listening we'll talk to you guys next week <laughs>